It was about 26 weeks ago when I told you about the male goat that we call Billy. I made it pretty clear that I didn't like him and he didn't like me. Well, our paths have crossed again. I went out last week to our neighbors, to his corral, and uh, I went with a collar and a leash. I got Billy, put on the collar, and attached the leash, and off we went, me leading him, about 250 yards down the road to the goat barn. I took him through it and out to Mama's and Razzie's pasture and turned him loose. He bit my neighbor, Todd, who helped me round him up, and he bit me too in the process. He's not very likable. I need him, though, as a stud to breed Mama and Razzie. Billy reeks. It's his billy goat nature. And the fact that he pees on his beard and face to make himself exciting to the nannies. So Clifton, my mentor in all things related to goats, tells me he'll bring them into season. It shouldn't take too long. Well, I hope so, because every day when I go to feed them, Billy manages to touch me and leave me smelling like one of those homeless old men who haven't bathed in months. People cross the street to avoid me. So I wear one pair of jeans and a shirt when I go down there, and then I change it when I come home. It's a real pain in the neck. Well, I'll keep you posted how that goes. Thank you for listening to these podcasts, and thanks to Anashira for sponsoring them. Thank God I have plenty of Anashira soap to shower with after being around Billy. It cleans me right up. You may not be around a Billy goat in rutting season, but I guarantee you that you'll like how you smell and feel after bathing with any of our fine Anashira soaps. I left you last week after Franco died, and I told you I'd tell you this week about my first Christmas season in Andalusia. So let's do it. Spaniards don't celebrate Thanksgiving, and there was no turkey to be found anywhere around Rio Tinto. Spaniards just didn't have the tradition of eating it. Songbirds, yes, but not turkey. So we communicated with Claudia and Gilberto and said we should spend Christmas holiday together. Claudia and Maria had spent many holidays in the U.S., and they both loved turkey with all the fixings. Gilberto couldn't leave because his hotel was busy over the holidays, so we'd have to get up to Valladolid. I hoped to get at least a week off, as Valladolid was 630 kilometers away. That's about 400 miles, and we'd be taking the train from Sevilla. I checked with my boss, Miguel, and learned that Christmas holiday from my English classes lasted 16 days. 16 days? Are you kidding me, Miguel? No, why would I kid you? And summer vacation? You get the month of August off. The whole month? Yes. Paid? Yes. Why? Is that not long enough? No, no, jefe, that's great. So we had two weeks plus off. Plenty of time. I liked Hilberto, and I started thinking about his Christmas present. Yeah, I knew what to get. Perfect. Spain has a wonderful food. It is cured ham. 
It is called jamón serrano, or the best one, jamón ibérico, ham from Iberia. I thought, Gilberto loves that ham. I'll get him a whole ham for Christmas. Now, I didn't know that much about these hams, except I love to eat them. I'd heard they were cured in caves in the mountains, thus serrano, like Sierra. And I didn't know where to buy a good one. So I went to my pal, my student, Federico. Now, although he was Polish, he knew more about Spanish food and drink than almost anyone I knew. He said, Ah, Ernie, you want a really good ham or just some meat for a tourist? No, I want a really good ham. Well, then you want a jamón ibérico puro de bellota. I don't get it. Iberian ham pure of acorns. This is cured ham from Iberico pigs that are acorn fed. They eat no commercial grain, none. These Iberico pigs are black skinned and they're descendants of the Mediterranean wild boar. They call them pata negra for their black hooves. These pigs are expensive. They have smaller litters, yield less meat per head. And they take longer to mature. The word bellota in the name of the hams refers to acorns. These animals are raised on farms with oak and cork oak trees. These acorns are high in fat and eating them is what makes the pig's fat so creamy. Acorns also contribute to the ham's nutty flavor and aroma. They're raised on deesas, national treasures. One to 2,000 acres of forest partially converted to pasture, often hundreds of years old with rolling grassy hills. These pigs need to run around all day over the hills and through the woods for their muscles to develop, for the ham to taste the way it does. For 18 to 24 months, they graze on grass, mushrooms, bugs, herbs. Then from October to March, they eat the acorns. Are you following me? Absolutely. Federico then continued with his description of how these pigs are not slaughtered. They are sacrificed. He told me how the hams are cured in an underground cellar, a city of hams. In one case, 40,000 hams. They hang for 30 to 48 months. He suggested I go to his house for a glass of wine and to try some of this ham. He had bought one and he had it on a stand in his kitchen. So I went over and he showed me his ham. He took out a special sharp knife and sliced a few pieces. It must be thin. It's like cutting for sushi in Japan. See here, the perfect slice is nearly see-through, small enough to eat in one bite. I put a piece in my mouth. Oh, it practically melted. I tell you, jamón ibérico puro de bellota, a piece of Spanish baguette, and a glass of red wine is the best. You're in heaven. So Federico told me where to go in Sevilla to buy one of these hams. Take a pile of cash. They're not cheap, he said. So I went to the shop he recommended the weekend before we left for Valladolid. It had several different brands. The price of Cincojotas, 5J's hams, about 14 pounds, Seemed outrageous, especially in pesetas. But I wanted to get Beto something special. So we packed up our stuff, took the bus to Sevilla, 
the train north for our all-day excursion to the one-time capital of the kingdom of Castile, home of Ferdinand and Isabella, city where Cristobal Colon, or Christopher Columbus, died in 1506, and host to us for our Christmas vacation. So I've got a suitcase in one hand, a leather bag hanging over my shoulder, and this 15-pound black-footed ham in the other. Oh, I made dozens of acquaintances, people who seem willing to pay me or trade me anything for a couple of slices of that ham. These people had grown up eating jamón iberico, but it wasn't often they saw a blonde guy in a second-class train compartment with his arm lovingly held around a whole lower leg. Oh, if I'd wanted to keep this present a secret from Beto, I should have just waited and bought one in Valladolid, but it wouldn't have been as authentic. So we caught a cab to their apartment. Gilberto got a sharp knife, and before we'd had a chance to tell any stories or anything, we were all drinking wine and eating slices of this ham. Oh, Gilberto said, Gringo, I never knew how much you loved me. Now, you think of Spain and probably think of hot days, beaches, swimsuits, warm nights. But December through March, it can get cold, very cold. Valladolid lies at an elevation of 2,300 feet, and that December was cold, ice, fog, wind. Our first challenge was to find all of the ingredients for our Christmas dinner. Claudia said, I want turkey and Ernie's stuffing and mashed potatoes and cranberry sauce and pumpkin pie. Mashed potatoes? No problem. We couldn't find pumpkins, but we found some winter squash, which would do just fine. Cranberries. No bogs in Spain to grow them. We looked up the Spanish word, arandano, el arandano. People looked at us like we were crazy. Okay, I said, I make a chutney. I can get golden raisins. I get some dried cherries, maybe some apple. Claudia, will that be okay? Mm, sure, Ernie, thanks. So, last and most important, turkey. Pavo in Spanish. Not a popular dish in Spain in those days. People in the region of Castilla y León, where we were, ate cochinillo asado. That's a roast suckling pig. Whole. But none of us wanted that. Gilberto said, I've heard for years of your American turkey dinners. No, we have to have a turkey. So we decided to ask the head chef at the Melia Hotel where Beto worked if he could help. Beto and I went over the next day. They didn't have a car and we walked a lot. Wind, rain, snow. Ah, Valladolid in the winter. So the chef said he knew someone who raised a few turkeys and he called him. How big do you want it? Um, maybe six kilos, I said, about 13 pounds. You want it live or dead? Uh, dead, dead would be good. You want it with feathers or plucked? Uh, plucked and cleaned would be good. You want it whole or cut into pieces? No, no, whole, whole, don't cut it up. He told us he couldn't deliver it. We'd have to pick it up from his farm. It was the 22nd. Could we come tomorrow? Yeah, sure. When? Midday? Okay. Okay, said Beto. Great. It's all coming together. Let's have a glass of wine to celebrate. Okay. The next day, Gilberto and I got a cab, and we rode out to the edge of town. 
We stopped at the farm and asked the cabbie to wait while we walked in. The farmer had the bird ready for us, all packed up. Now, one thing I like about Latinos is they are generous. You don't have to worry about getting stuck with a bill. The thing is, you will frequently have to fight in order to pick up a bill. Beto and I had got into it before, mostly over paying for a coffee or for a couple of beers or cab fare or at the market. In fact, over most anything. I got it. No, you got it. You got it the last time. I get it. No, no, it's my turn. Get your hands off that bill. That sort of thing. Spaniards thought we were crazy. But we had already dealt with this bill for this bird. Thank God. Miti, miti. You probably won't find that in any Spanish dictionary. It means half-half or we split the bill. But even that doesn't always work. If you relax, you'll get beat. Mil pesetas, the farmer told us. I reached in my pocket, but Gilberto already had a thousand peseta note. And he stuck it in the guy's hands. Toma, muchas gracias, he told him. Hey, Gilberto, we discussed this. We agreed to miti miti. Yeah, I know, but you were too slow. You got to be on your toes, gringo. So we got back to the apartment and we carried our package into the kitchen. Open it. Yeah, let's see the turkey, the women said. We unwrapped the bird. We laid it on the table. What a surprise. You know what an American turkey looks like. Huge breasts, lots of white meat. Well, this creature was thin, almost scrawny. The head was attached, and the animal looked like it had been hungry, even in death. Are you sure this is a turkey? asked Claudia. What's wrong with it? said Maria. Well, we've been eating turkeys in the States for hundreds of years. We've bred them to produce lots of white meat, big breasts. The Spaniards appear to be back where we were in 1492. Lots of sighing, sounds of disappointment. Don't worry, I said. We'll make some nice stuffing. It's got enough meat on it. We'll be fine. Ernie, you make lots of stuffing, you hear? Yeah, okay, no problem. Do you have everything you need? Yeah, well, I don't have any celery. You need celery? Yeah, I need it for the stuffing. I absolutely need it. So, Gilberto and I headed out to the outdoor market that was open. We walk from stall to stall. Tienen apio? No, no lo tenemos. Do you have celery? No, we don't have any. Apio? No, señor. Gilberto, are you sure celery is apio in Spanish? You know, we never eat it in Paraguay, but I think so. We've been through most of the market and we're pretty discouraged. I ask one last time. Ustedes tienen apio? Pause. Si lo tenemos. The woman handed me a sad-looking stalk, but it was celery. Fabuloso. Muchas gracias. I let Beto pay. So we cooked most of the next day. And one thing about Spanish apartments in those days, the stoves were small, not luxurious at all. That bird barely fit in the oven. We were lucky it didn't have much of a breast. Claudia had said, Ernie, lots of gravy. We need lots of gravy. Okay. No, I mean lots. If we have to ration the meat, I don't want to have to measure out the gravy. So, dinner was good. We had enough turkey, piles of mashed potatoes, enough gravy for a village. 
The chutney was well-received. We even had enough meat for a couple of turkey sandwiches. So we went to bed sort of early for Spain. And I woke up in the middle of the night. I heard footsteps, door opening, a chair sliding on the floor. Was it a ghost again? I had to get up and see. A light was on in the kitchen. It was Beto. He had a knife in one hand and the hanging leg of Hamoni Berico in the other. He was cutting off slices. Shh, gringo, I don't want Claudia to know I'm in here. Didn't you get enough turkey? Of course, it was delicious. But I just needed to see if this jamon was as delicious now as it was the last time we ate it this morning. It is. You want a piece? Sure. And it was still as delicious. The next morning, Claudia said, Can you boil those bones for a soup? I don't want to waste any of it. Sure, Claudia, I can do that. I reflect back now on those two weeks and almost all of my memories revolve around eating. I do recall going to the movies. Films in those days were subtitled, not dubbed, and the cinemas were clean, the sound was high quality. We all loved the movies. I recall Beto going to work and walking, yes, walking to restaurants, collar pulled up around my neck to keep out the wind. So we talked about the summer. Claudia said, let's go to the ocean. Let's find a place on the Costa del Sol. We can lay on the beach, read, eat lots of seafood. Yeah, Ernie has a month of August off, said Maria. We'll see if Artie can get down from Switzerland. So we left Hilberto with a mission of finding us a good deal on a nice property for the summer. We rode the train back to Rio Tinto, and I went back to teaching. We got a letter from my parents. They wanted to come and visit us. Would Easter week be okay? Could we pick them up in Madrid at Barajas Airport? I wrote back that we'd be glad to see them and be glad to pick them up. I knew my classes would not be held during Easter week. Yippee, another week's vacation. So we rented a car and drove up to Madrid. My folks were not world travelers and were happy to have us as tour guides. We headed south to Sevilla after a couple of days in Madrid. Easter week is a big deal in Catholic countries. And in Sevilla, it is a huge event. There are processions every day walking prescribed routes. This event started in the Middle Ages. It starts early in the week. Now, a church will form a brotherhood called a cofradía. There are about 70 cofradías taking part in this event. Each of these groups will first carry a great cross. And each of these, they march only once. So each day there'll be different cofradías on different routes. Then a group of people follows barefoot after the cross. They dress in a habit with a pointed hood carrying a large candle each person. And then a group of altar boys, acolytes, dressed in vestment follows. Then the paso. What is a paso? Well, it's an image or a group of statues set atop a movable float made of wood. The base is wood and it has golden candelabras, all kinds of valuable things on it. They show scenes of what the Catholics call the mystery of the rosary, for example. The agony in the garden, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion. And these floats are carried by men. They call them costaleros, 
sackmen, and they carry the float mounted on beams of wood on their shoulders and necks. And most of the pasos weigh, they weigh over a ton. And each of these requires between 24 and 54 costaleros to move. And each procession will have up to three pasos. The procession could take up to 14 hours, depending on how far away the sponsoring church is from the cathedral in Sevilla. There may be a musical group following the paso. Then will follow a group of penitentes, penitents. They carry wooden crosses and they're making public penance. So we get to Sevilla, we park, and we go to a small street where a procession is due to pass. It's dusk, it's cold. You never expect Spain to be cold, but when it's cold, it's miserable. This was one of those days. So we get our good spot. My folks ask what it will be like. I don't know exactly myself. It's my first time. So we hear a murmur. Then we hear distant drums. The street is nearly dark. We see a large cross advancing. Silver. Jewels. It's advancing down the road slowly, very slowly. Then candles carried by men in robes. They have white hoods. And they're also walking slowly. They approach. They are very somber. The hoods make me think of the clan, even though this is completely different. Slowly, slowly. You can see only their eyes and hands. Everything else is covered. After a while, these pass. Then acolytes in church vestments. Then the paso, the float. It is large. We can see it in the distance. We recognize Jesus with some man kissing him. It must be Judas. The whole float moves as if it were floating. It sways. I remind myself that there are men underneath carrying it on their shoulders and necks for hours and hours. It pauses. Gold candelabras, candles, intricate carvings. Before it passes us, we hear the drums louder. It's dark now. The crowd is quiet. We hear a faint sound. What? Scraping. Chains? The float and the drums pass. So close we can touch them. We can see figures coming after them. Men. A man carrying a cross. His wrists tied to the crossbars. Face covered. Shuffling in bare feet with chains. These chains are about three feet long and there's one attached to each ankle. And the road, this is a road, a cobble road. How miserable they must be, said my mom. Yeah, that's the point. They're penitents, I said. One at a time. They had rope wrapped around their stomachs and chests. It was somewhat painful to watch. There are a number of them. They keep coming. Now, we'd grown up as Methodists, and there was certainly nothing like this in California. We had somehow found the perfect spot to watch. A small street, quiet. We could smell the incense and look right into the eyes of the penitents. Well, it ended, and we got back to Rio Tinto the next day, and we ushered them into our simple abode, We'd bought a bed and a night table for their guest room. We couldn't have them sleep on the floor. 
that building was really poorly constructed. Drafts would come in through the windows and cut right through you before they sailed out under the doors. The next day, our friend, my student, Maripepa Figueroa, invited us to her house in Bella Vista for tea so my folks could meet some of my students and they could meet them. It was still very cold. We walked into her living room. There was a large round table that seated maybe 10 people. It had a large tablecloth that covered it and it fell around the table to the floor. Mighty Pippa greeted us and showed everyone to the table. I must say the room was not warm, sort of like our house. She said, sit here, Kathleen. Howard, you can sit here, lift up the cloth and put your legs underneath it. You feel the heat? Oh, I do, said my mom. It feels wonderful. How is that? Oh, it's our traditional brasero de picon. It was a brazier filled with burning charcoal. It had a sort of safety grate over the top of it. We all sat down around the table. We put our legs underneath and we pulled the cloth up over our laps. I must say, it was toasty underneath. My dad asked, Are you worried about getting asphyxiated with carbon monoxide? Oh no, these rooms are drafty enough. We've been heating this way for hundreds of years. So we talked and my folks were warm and comfortable. And after about 15 minutes, I thought I smelled something burning. I sniff. <laughs> then my dad leaps up out of his chair with a holler. Pa, what's wrong? My feet, they're on fire. Well, he placed his feet right over the brazier where it was nice and warm as if he were grilling a piece of meat. He hopped around a little, but the only damage was to the soles of his shoes. Luckily, we had a good laugh about this for years. Hey, Pop, remember when you grilled your feet at Mari Pepa's house in Rio Tinto? Well, our thanks to Anashira for sponsoring these podcasts. I don't think I could really have enjoyed this soap very much in that shower in Rio Tinto in the winter. It was so cold and drafty. You wanted to get in, wash, rinse off, and get out in a minute or less. But you folks probably live in modern, well-constructed buildings with warm bathrooms. You can stay in the shower comfortably as long as you wish. So go to our website and buy a couple of bars of our wonderful goat milk soap and be thankful when you're in the shower that you don't have a draft whipping across your back. You know, thinking about those hams, I went online to see if I could find one. Yeah, you can get them. I found one from 5J's, Cinco Jotas. Bone-in, 100% Iberico de Bellota. 14 and a half pounds delivered to the U.S. to my door. $1,089. And that's 45% meat. The rest bone and skin. So for six and a half pounds of meat, that's $167 a pound. You got to love this ham to pay that kind of money. And I did not pay anywhere near that for Beto's ham. Join us next week as I wind up my time in Andalusia in my next episode of Stories from Anashira. Stories from Anashira.